1: thankful to see all of you beautiful faces turn to your neighbor and say, you look great today. (laughs) Amen. Don't be lying in the house of the Lord either. Y'all do look good. (laughs) Anyway, um, it's a privilege to be in the presence of God. How many of you have been hearing some reports of things going on around our world right now? I heard today, Brooke was telling me that they went in the Taliban in Afghanistan and found churches. They were looking on people's phones for Bible apps and if they had a Bible app on their phone, they were killing them. Um, They're just running amok over there, killing Christians just because they believe in Jesus and uh, not trying to compare, but we have it pretty good. No one stopped us coming in the door today. The only person stopping you from coming to church today is you obviously didn't stop you because you're here. (laughs) So preaching to the choir. But, anyways, I'm thankful that and we need to pray. My heart's been breaking for the situation over there. And uh, I know people may think, well, it has nothing to do with us. Yes, it does. Absolutely. We need to be praying, but I am so thankful for the Roberts family. How many of you love brother and sister Roberts? <clears throat> Amen. My husband said it the other day. He said, when you look for somebody who's loyal, you can see the Roberts family. Brother and sister Roberts have been loyal. They are amazing Christians. And he's one of my favorite preachers. He's an incredible preacher, teacher, just a great man of God. I'm thankful that he's on our side. (laughs) And so brother Roberts, why don't you come preach to us today? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise as he comes.
0: Isn't God good? I love living hope. Amen. Even the name of this church represents the goodness and the mercy of God. And I'm so privileged, my wife and I have been so privileged for so many years to be a part of a great leadership team and so many good things that are happening here. Greetings to all of you. We love you. appreciate you. I did meet some first-time guests here this morning. If you're here this morning for the first time, you are in the right place. Amen. I promise you. Well, it looks better from up here than it did from down there. It looked more like a Wednesday night crowd because we have, I don't know, 30 or 40 folks down on youth retreat. And so this is not our normal Sunday. Normally you come in and this entire front section is full of young people filled with energy. Amen. And uh, excited about that. So that means if you're sitting in that section, brother, sister, Selvi, right, all this, if you're sitting here, so y'all got to carry that whole front row like there was. Brother Brett, I appreciate that. Amen. Aren't you glad to be in the presence of the Lord? Amen. God is doing so many amazing things, and He is such a good and faithful God, and we appreciate Him. If you got your Bibles, turn with us to Genesis chapter 20. Again, I agree. Our e family, we're so glad if you've joined us online that you're able to be with us, whether in person or online. So thankful for an opportunity. If you're looking for a home church, you found it. This is where you need to be because the power and the presence of God is here on a continual basis. It's not about any person, but it's about the Lord. And so we're glad that you're here. So many good things I could say. I do love my pastor, he's a tremendous man of God. I am just so blessed to be associated with him and his ministry. I love my first lady. Amen. I do love Sister Staten. She is a tremendous woman of God. And I know it's been the, the, the practice around here, and I don't always do it, but I want to say how thankful I am for my beautiful bride of 36 years. Is that all you people do is give accolades? Well, we love one another, and we love the Lord. And if you show up here and we get to know you, we're probably going to love you just as much. So We're so glad that you're here because God is certainly a good God, isn't he? Turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 20. I'm going to read a lengthy portion of scripture and I'm going to let you stand while I read all of that. And uh, then I'll let you be seated as if you promise not to sit down on me. Amen? Amen. Genesis chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country, and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Abraham's wife, Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and said unto him, Behold, thou art but a dead man man Now listen you're having a dream that's not the dream you want to have. The Lord shows up in your dream and said it's all over but to do and you're a dead man, right? For the woman which thou hast taken, O oh Lord, right? Careful what you're taking, right? The woman which thou hast taken, she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she's my sister. I'm going to tell you, that's some complaining voice right there. Oh, God, I didn't know. I didn't do it. And even her, she herself said, he's my brother. And the integrity of my heart and the innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart. For I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore... Man, thank God for the mercy of God. Suffered I thee not to touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And he's going to pray for you, and you're going to live. Those are the words I want to hear in my dream. But if you don't restore her, right? Know that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore, Abimelech rose early in the morning and called his servants and told all these things in their ears. And the men were sore afraid. And then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, Can you imagine this conversation? What have you done to us? What offense did I do to you, right? That thou hast brought this sin upon me and my kingdom, right? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. You, you shouldn't do this, Abraham. My goodness. And Abimelech said to Abraham, verse 10, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? What made you do this? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely, The fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet, indeed, she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, this is thy kindness, which thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come, say of me, he is my brother. Amen. Would you lay your Bibles down on the seat next to you? Lift a hand. Let's pray that the Lord would bless the remainder of this service. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for the sweet presence of the Lord that has been in this house all day, God. We thank you, Lord, over the next few moments. I pray the ministering spirit of the Holy Ghost. God, I know that as you connect your word and your spirit, that only great things can happen. And, Lord, you know every need that is represented in this house, every life, God, that needs to hear from you today. We, Lord, leave it in your hands, and we give you praise and thanks and glory. Somebody say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Give your neighbor a high five, and you can be seated. Unfortunately, the text that we read about Abraham, the friend of God, is... Not just a familiar text, it's a repeated text. There is a famine in the land and it's not the first famine that Abraham and his family has faced. And again, he has to leave where he's at and move to a different location in order for his family and his herds to survive the circumstance of the day. And so Abraham has devised this plan and he puts the plan in motion. We read it together. I could almost in my mind see the conversation. Now, honey, if they ask about our relationship, you just tell them that half-truth. You just tell them that we're brother and sister because, you know, technically, you know, we are. And so they get down into this land of Gerar and Abraham assesses the landscape and he begins to estimate the situation. In the military, you'd call it a sit-rep. He's looking around and kind of feeling things out, and he, he gets to that place, and he says, you know what, this is the right plan, we need to do this again, and he says to them, you know, hey, you just tell him, I'm not your husband, you're my sister, and so what happens here is that Abraham makes an estimation, and you understand this, we get estimates all the time, we do estimates all the time, but an estimate is a rough calculation. It's a place where we calculate value and cost. It's where we look at numbers and we look at the quantity that's needed or the extent of how far something will go or how long even it will last. You, We understand this. And so this is something that we do on a regular, repeated de- basis throughout life. And so in a literal sense, when we're making an estimate, we're making a judgment. How many of you have ever gotten an estimate and it come back exactly what they said? It's, it's rare, right, because things change, and the estimate is just that. It's an estimate. It's not really the, the true cost of things. You know, I, I remember when my children grew up uh, and, and left home, uh, my wife would still cook dinner for four. And I felt obligated, Brother Trey. I mean, I was taught, you don't let that go to waste. My, I, I still hear my mother she's been gone for a couple of decades now and I still remember her there's children in Africa they're going hungry tonight you better eat all that food and my wife would cook for four and I'm like honey I can't get in and out of the chair and it took a while for her to reduce that estimate back to a a reasonable amount And, and and I know there's a lot of things you go to that buffet and you see that kid headed for that last piece of chocolate you estimate the angle you're determining calculating the value and seeing how much you weigh and how much he weighs, and I know that my hip check will knock him to the next portion of the buffet, and I can reach that place that he can't get to, and if I do it with the skill that I know I have, nobody will notice. I mean, he's just a kid. He'll just crash into another part of the buffet. I mean, chicken, chocolate, he don't know the difference. But I know. And so in the realm of estimation, we generally end up with several possibilities. We end up with one of three. We can overestimate. How many of you have ever done that? My wife had these plates, and I, I told her, I said, "We got to quit using these plates." There, she liked them. They had apples and cups, and they were cute little plates, but they were huge. They weren't dinner plates. They were, you know, platters. It seemed like, and and I, I felt obligated again. It's just the nature. I was was beat into my head. You gotta, you know, and I had to fill that thing up and. Brother I know that's partially why I'm the man I am today. And, you know, I, and, and I would overestimate, you know, my, my, my eyes were too big for my stomach. And, and then we can, we can often sometimes, we can underestimate. How many of you ever done that? You, you get about three quarters of the way through a project and you know you don't have what you need. And, and, and I tend to get grouchy and grumpy because I know i got to stop what I'm doing and go and get some more. Or we can correctly estimate. We can get to that place where things work out. But I find that it, it rarely works out the way that it's supposed to. I'm either above or I'm under. Now, there seems to be no middle ground. But most of the time, the reality is when we estimate, we're taking a guess at something. And when you underestimate, you always are going to fall short or far below. And so underestimating has been an issue. It's been a problem for humanity ever since... uh, Eve underestimated the serpent's ability to deceive in the garden. We understand this. We get this. We grasp this concept. Human beings have been making the same mistake for thousands and thousands of years. We could go back to the Bible and see that the great king Pharaoh of Egypt underestimated the God of Moses. We could tell the stories, and we do tell the stories, of how Goliath the giant underestimated the ability of that little shepherd boy David. You and I could go back and read the story in the book of Judges how the, the nation, that powerful nation of Israel, anointed of God, underestimated the small, tiny nation of Ai, and the list could go on and on, but it's not just biblical things in Probably not our lifetime, but close to it. Not much has changed over the centuries. It was Chamberlain that underestimated Hitler. And Hitler, like Napoleon, underestimated the Russian winter and the resolve of the Russian people. And the, the rest of the story comes out. But in, in each of these cases, when we underestimate something, the results are tend to be serious. Abraham's story is no different. The life of Abraham is really a life that is filled with a tendency for underestimating and so if it wasn't for the divine intervention in this particular case the results could have been far worse than they actually are And so this morning I want to give you three specific principles about things that we should never underestimate in the kingdom of God Abraham had a tendency like I do and likely like you do for underestimating spiritual things I believe that Abraham suffered from at least some level of spiritual exhaustion. I understand that we're living in a world that is filled with stress, and it's really not uncommon. I've, I've experienced it, I've seen it, I've watched it happen. It's not uncommon for good people of God to experience spiritual exhaustion following a high point. Man, we have a great service, a great blowout, we have a great time, and God moves in a tremendous way. And that next day, it seems like there's just this feeling of letdown. There's this little bit of disappointment that comes in. Anybody ever been there? You experience that in your your spirit because God has taken us to such a high level. And now it's just not. That pinnacle was so great and we come back to that place called reality. But for Abraham... I believe it was immediate, immediately uh, and remarkable because it was right after this great experience that he had where he meets the angel of the Lord and he begins to talk with God and he begins to barter. He begins to through prayer and, and get some victory in, in, in trying to represent the city of Sodom. How many men, how many women could say that they've had a conversation with God and they've made a, a bartership or they've, they've bartered with God concerning the terms of judgment? And so for Abraham, that must have been a great pinnacle to stand in that place, to stand in that that gap and, and say, God, if you can just find a few righteous, will you spare Sodom? If you can just find, and God begins to come down to Abraham's level, and certainly that must have been such a spiritual high place. But now, all of a sudden, maybe it's days, maybe it's weeks, I'm not sure how long it is, but Abraham has moved back from this place of a high pinnacle in God to his old pattern. Every one of us need to be aware, and we need to be on guard against this, this, this spiritual letdown that follows a victory. The saying is you can't teach an old dog a new trick, and Abraham was very, very close to 100 years old now. And perhaps it's not surprising that his personality and his methods of dealing with problems were probably very well established. And some of those, I'm sure, were good, and some of those probably not so good. But a simple study of the life of Abraham shows that he never was able to overcome one particular deep-rooted fear. Abraham had a beautiful wife. I mean, she must have really been a beautiful woman. Here we are in the Bible you know, she's about 10 years younger than Abraham, so from the time that they leave, she's 65 now. She's close to 90. And this fear that Abraham had it doesn't seem like it's really rational to me. But in Abraham's mind, this was a particularly well-rooted fear. He said, you know what, Sarah? You are a honey. Baby, I mean, you got it going on. pastor would say, you're a bag of chips and all that, I, you know. I mean, Abraham knew he had a really good thing. And so somehow deep-rooted in his mind and his spirit was that when I go somewhere and we meet some people and they see how beautiful you are, they're going to want you. And they, it's not like the world today, right, where you just change wives. Hello? Okay, it was a little different time. And he realized that they would do anything up to and including murdering him to get his wife. Now, Genesis chapter 12, beginning midway through verse 11, here's what he says to her the first time, because this is not the first time this conversation is had. He said, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Woo, baby, you are sweet. Now, ladies, if your husband says that to you, that's a good thing, unless he has an ulterior motive. And Abraham had an ulterior motive. Abraham wasn't so worried that she was so beautiful as much as he was worried about his own skin. He said, therefore, it shall come to pass when, because we're in Egypt now in chapter 12, when the Egyptians shall see thee, they're going to say, <whistles> my goodness. My goodness. They're going to think you're the model. They're going to think you're all that, you know, and they're, and they're going to want you. And he says, and, and they're going to say, oh, that's his wife. And they will kill me but save you alive. So now look at verse 13. But say, honey, sweet baby, say, I pray thee, I'm begging you, baby, tell them you're my sister that it may be well with me for your sake because I know you love me and I know you can't live without me. And my soul, y'all getting the picture here, right? My soul is going to be well, right? And so for Abraham, this was not just a pattern, but it was a pattern of repetition. And so in in a spiritual sense, we're calling this a recognizable area of weakness. And so the reality is for you and for me that we don't fail at new things. Generally, generally. We don't fail to the, to the new thing. Some new thing comes along, and we don't fall for that. But for you and I, we've been through some things. We've come out of some things. We've been delivered from some things. Uh, and like the dog returning to their vomit, uh, if I'm going to fall into something, Brother Savati, it's generally something I've got a little bit of spirit, spiritual experience with. And so that's the tendency. And so what makes this so puzzling to me is that I can look in Abraham's life and say, wait a minute, this was not a man of fear. Abraham was not afraid when he stepped out in faith and left his home in Ur and followed God into the unknown. Abraham shows almost no fear when he chases multiple kings in attempt to intercede for the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and retrieve his nephew Lot. He's the the same God who exhibited boldness, or he's the same guy who exhibited boldness when bartering with God to save those cities. But when it comes to his private fear, Anybody ever been there? That issue, right? That private fear that he has, that ability that's just working around in his life. He began to make this estimation. Abraham gets down into Egypt and he goes. He does the math, Sister Monk. And he figures out there's a lot more of them than there are of me. And Sarah really is a nice looking woman and I know how things go. If a man wants that woman, he will kill you and take her. And I'm worried about this skin. And he gets in this place. And so I can see him pulling out his pencil and his paper. And he begins to calculate the chance of survival. He begins to inventory his abilities. He begins to look at his resource. He begins to look at his weakness just like I do, just like you do. And Abraham makes an estimation. Okay, I've got limitations in my abilities. I've got limitations in my resources. I've got limitations in my knowledge And so he doesn't act in faith, but rather he reacts in fear. And the truth is, every one of us do it. When we estimate, we start estimating our abilities, and we start estimating our resources. And then we look at the knowledge and the things that we know, and we begin to exercise in our mind our limitations. But, my friend, the problem arises for us that when, just like it did for Abraham, when we began to estimate those things that come up, those things, we forget to add God into the estimate. Can I tell somebody, you end up estimating all kinds of things, and we bring God in after the fact. But what really needs to happen, if you've got a private fear, if you've got a system, a, something going on in your life, what you got to do is you got to bring God in on the front side of the equation. Can I tell somebody, you just cannot underestimate the power of God. But I see it so much. I see good people that are going through real stuff. And Brother Trey, they've got all the estimation. they got the pencil and the paper, and they're working on it. But they haven't brought God into the situation. I'm still a child of God. I'm still a son of the king. I've still got anointed. I'm still blood-bought. I'm still baptized in the name of Jesus. I want to preach to somebody. He's still a God on the throne. He's still got power. He's still got authority. Oh, but just like Abraham. I do it. You do it. We do it. Pencil and paper. So some of that young crowd, they don't use pencil and paper. They got the iPad out or the phone out, and they're writing down lists, and they're figuring it out, and they're like, what's going to happen here? And they're making agreements. Just say this. Just say that. But we can't underestimate the power of a mighty God. We live in a world that is full of decay, and there's so much spiritual anxiety and so much spiritual fear that's attacking us. What's going to happen in the world? What's going on? What's going to happen to us? What about us? What about the Lord God Almighty? What about a powerful? For God what about a God who has all power and all authority when are you going to bring him into the equation come on I come to preach somebody it's not a, I'm not preaching something deep or, or something you don't know but I came to remind you he's still on the throne he still is the giver of power he still is the ultimate authority in the universe I can't believe that Abraham, the friend of God, would sit down and begin to make an estimation and begin all of his calculation, all of his great thought and all of his great ability and all of this great man who's powerful in faith and he doesn't bring God into this situation. And then I stepped back and said, wait a minute, I do the same thing. I do the same thing. His power is not diminished he can still heal like he did in the Bible. He can still deliver the addict like he did last week. He's still setting captives free. He's still bringing sight to the He's still doing everything that he said he could. It's funny to me, when I look at the idea of human power, we think exclusively in terms of physical strength and physical resource. But God's abilities have never been physical. He's always had supernatural power, supernatural strength, and supernatural resource, and it has not changed. But the reality is that estimations, those rough calculations, are often not done with a lot of accuracy. And so there are always things uh, when I begin to estimate what I'm going to need to do, what I'm going to do. I always seem to leave something out. But I came simply to preach to somebody today a very simple message of hope. When you're making the calculation, when you're you're figuring out how it's all going to work, don't leave the power of God out of your equation. I need that power of God in my life. I need it to be a part of the equation because no matter what that what that number equals, when I get done writing it down, I may be short. I may, I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I seem to be a little short here. But wait a minute. If I will just grab, reach out for that power of God one more time, that number will increase exponentially. It doesn't matter how low my number is. It doesn't matter how limited my ability is. It doesn't matter, Sister Carol, how small my resource is. When I bring God into the equation, the songwriter said, He's more than enough. How many times have we read in scripture when they were there and they were looking at their resource, all we've got is a couple of fish and a couple of pieces of bread and the Lord began to break that and multiply it and they picked up the baskets that were left over. I want somebody to know, I don't know what you're going through, I don't know what you're dealing with, but if you'll put the power of God into the equation, you'll have more than enough. Story is told. Harry Houdini, the great escape artist, earned his fame by escaping handcuffs, prison cells, and all manner of contraptions that were specifically designed to confine him. He boasted on numerous occasions that no jail cell could hold him. He had never failed. He always escaped, almost always. The legend says that on one particular occasion, Houdini entered into a cell as he usually did, wearing only street clothes. The authorities shut the the jail cell behind him and left him. Alone, he did what he had done so many times before. He pulled a thin but strong piece of metal hidden in his belt and began working the lock. But this time, the cell wouldn't open. The lock would not yield. He worked feverishly, applying his amazing knowledge of locks and their mechanism to the task. Two hours later, in frustration and failure, he gave up. The lock simply would not yield. The great Houdini had finally failed. When asked really what the question, why, what went wrong, why did Houdini fail, it was found out that the guards, when they had shut the door, had forgotten to lock the cell. All he needed to do was push open the cell door. The only place, the only door that was locked uh, was locked in the mind of Houdini. When I came to preach to somebody, you don't think, what what am I going to do? Get that locked place uh, out of your mind and begin to push uh, upon the cell Oh, come on, somebody. God is still God on the throne. He's still got power. He's still got authority. There's nothing He cannot do. Yes. What are you doing, Houdini? I'm working the lock. I'm working the lock. I'm moving finances around. I'm calling everybody I know. I've been to the pastor's office three times. I'm working the system. I'm doing everything I can. Somebody ought to lift their hands and begin to push against the door. Somebody ought to magnify God because when two or three are gathered together in his presence, he's there in the midst. I want somebody to know there's power in the house of God. There's power and anointing when we get together. The simple equations, the things that we look wrong. Jesus said it this way, with man, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Come on, somebody. There's no heart too hard. There's no life too far gone. There's no situation beyond his repair. Don't let the power of God be bound up in your mind. Imagine, Abraham friend of god called by god great man of god terrified they are going to kill me are going to kill me honey baby tell him baby sweetheart oh oh sugar plum oh, oh baby cherry just tell him tell him i love you don't just tell him we're sister and brother it's okay and he begins to con- he begins to he converts his thinking back to the natural but i see this second attribute, this disturbing tendency in Abraham's life Abraham had a a careless approach a cavalier approach to truth I believe that Abraham dealt with some spiritual amnesia can I tell somebody that spiritual amnesia is dangerous it allows this great man of God to forget about the promise of God and so when it comes to the role of his wife It's going to play this ultimate fulfillment in God's plan. Understand who Sarah was. She wasn't just a woman. She wasn't just the wife of Abraham. She was an integral part and piece of the promise of an almighty God if Sarah disappears from the landscape into the Philistines world what would have happened to the promised son where would Isaac go where would the promise what had happened all the years of training all the years of waiting all the years of turmoil for this promise and so under the pressure of life it's not hard it's not unusual to forget the spiritual things and we get spiritual amnesia what am I going to do the doctors called the doctor said it's not good or some bill is not being paid and all of these things so spiritual forgetfulness comes in and it always has dire consequences how easily we forget where God has brought us from how easy we forget the promise of God in our life how easy we forget the investment he's made in us but Abraham, the man of faith I know he believed in God I know he trusted God but here he is caught in this little lie we read it in verse 13 Abimelech calls Abraham out and said, What have you done to me? What's going on? And Abraham says, It came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, This is the kindness that I want you to do for me. In every place we go, just tell them, I'm your brother. Can I tell somebody when you fail to apply the full truth of the Word of God in any situation? What you're really doing is you're underestimating the power of the promise of God. Hear this preacher today, I'm trying to help you. Well, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know what's going to end up. I don't know either, but I know what this book said. All the promises in him are yea and amen. I I can hear pencils scratching. I can see paper getting crumbled up. We look at our abilities and our resources and we say, I'm not sure how it's going to happen. I'm not sure where it's going to go from here. But I want to preach to somebody there is a promise of God and his promises never fail. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. When the water rises, come on somebody, think back on some of the promises. You're holding a promise in your heart and God is faithful to his promise. What are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about good people that act out of character, people of faith, people that know God, people that believe in the truth, and they why they act out of character simply because they got spiritual amnesia and they forget the promise of God. But I come to tell somebody today, don't you underestimate the promise of God. That baby's gonna be saved. That child's gonna come in. There's gonna be deliverance. There's gonna be healing. There's gonna be anointing. Don't you underestimate God. Don't you underestimate. His promises are forever settled in heaven he will not change he cannot lie oh somebody ought to stand on your feet and clap your hands and thank God for his mighty promises somebody ought to magnify the Lord oh hallelujah come on I'm not underestimating the promise of God I'm not underestimating it well the doctor said the doctor's got no authority when it comes to the promise. They lived all of those years, and God said, you're going to have a child. And Sarah said, I don't know. Maybe we ought to do something. Oh, What do they ought to do? Well, you know, I got this servant girl, Abraham. I think maybe God forgot about his promise. Let's get this servant girl over here. Little time we just mess it up. We just mess it up. We create issues upon issues upon issues upon issues all because we're underestimating. They were looking at their circumstance. They were looking at their limited resource. They were looking at their limited ability. They were looking at all those things, and they said, we're going to help God out. Would you quit trying to help God out and just have faith in the promise? <laughs> ha! Come on, somebody. Don't underestimate the promise of God. If he said it, it's going to happen. We've heard it, Sister Jones. Well, if God said it, i believe it. It don't matter if you believe it. If he said it, your belief has nothing to do with it. He cannot fail. He will not fail. It shall come to pass. Well, I just can't see how. Put your pencil down and stop underestimating the promise of God. What are you doing? Why are you worshiping? Why do you keep asking for prayer over and over again? Because I'm not underestimating the promise. That promise is yay and amen. It's a powerful promise of an almighty God. Look, poor Abraham. Just tell him, baby. You're doing this kindness for me. I need you to lie. Why? But I look back at those promises in chapter 12. I'm going to make of thee a great nation, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Verse 3 of chapter 12, God says to Abraham, the same one who said, Honey, baby, lie for me. He said, I'll bless them that bless you, and I'll curse them that curse you, and in you shall all the families. And Abraham's got this promise from God, and he's still. It's eight chapters later. It's 25 years later. Baby. Now, baby, you you just tell him I'm your brother. Let's just be careful here. I know, I know, I know it turned out bad in Egypt, but this is the Philistines. You just be careful, honey. You just tell him I'm your sister. Now, wait a minute, Abraham. You got a promise. You got a promise. You got a promise Abraham quit underestimating the promise quit trying to figure it out on your own God said he will do it give him some time and <laughs> Elder I'm not as young as you are but I get, I'm getting a little more forgetful don't know where my car keys are Sometimes I had to make a place where I put them so I know if I don't put them there, I'll lose them. But if I put them there, I know they're there every time. That's part of life. It happens. I don't want to forget those promises that God has put into my life. I want to preach to somebody, don't let that promise go away from your mind. And when you get that pencil out and you start scribbling those notes, you need to take that pencil and crumble it up because like Brother Sister Monk said this morning, the math may not add up, but you got to understand when you bring God into the estimation, when you bring the promise that he's given to you into the estimation, it's a done deal. It may not come when you want it, but it will be right there when God said it will. Don't underestimate the promise of God. God. He cannot lie. He cannot fail. He will not change his mind. Amen. Brother Roberts, what are you talking about? I'm talking about underestimating God. And I'm talking about the world is not underestimating God, the church is underestimating God. Peter said it this way whereby are given to us exceeding great precious promises. Oh, that's great, Pete. Good job. Good job, Pete. Good job. Tell us about it some more. Preach again. No, no. There are thousands upon thousands of promises in this book, and God is faithful to fulfill every one. He cannot break a promise. Numbers 23 and 19 says God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Don't underst- Don't underestimate God. When you begin to make that calculation, add in the promise of God. I don't know, I don't know how I can trust God my children, my children won't behave just put your promise into the calculation and put it all in there the third and the final weakness in Abraham's life he's talking to Abimelech in verse 11 Abimelech's like what in the world man what do I do to you you're, you're crazy dude, you, you can get us all killed But Abraham's final issue was pride. He had the promise of God. He had some power from God. but Man, that guy had a little pride. He said, Abimelech said, Abraham, why would you do this? Why didn't you just tell me the truth? Abraham says it this way. I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. read that so many times and I stepped back and I looked at it and I said you know what the morality of a pagan king was less in question than the morality of the most faithful man of God to ever walk the planet Abraham brother Brett is suffering from spiritual myopia spiritual short-sightedness his short-sightedness was so bad that the same man who one chapter earlier was so concerned that God deal justly with the with the city of Sodom and its people he now appears to be completely and totally unaware no concern for the people of Gerar and their king Abraham's vision was so focused on his own life, on his own concerns, his perspective was so warped by his paranoia and his fear. Listen, it's a serious matter to underestimate the human potential for spiritual miscalculation. But he said, you know what? All of this, he, he, he looks at that, he underestimates the power of God, he underestimates the promise of God, and Brother Steve, he underestimates the love of God. I've seen so many people. Come play something, Sister Maddie. I've seen so so many people over the years. They come into the house of God, brother. They're like, you don't know what I've done. They underestimate the, the love of God and they say, There's no way God could love me. There's no way God could forgive me. Oh no, no, no. You gotta go back and He loves, for He so loved the world. You know, right? That book is full, filled. With the love of God. How much did he love me? Just look at Calvary. Look at what he did for you and for me. And I began to think about this. We underestimate the love of God. And if anything... What we should be doing, we should be overestimating the love of God. Because if there's one thing that you could never overestimate as long as you live, it's the powerful love of God. There's nothing. The songwriter said it reaches to the highest mountain. It goes, come on, to the bottom of the ocean. No matter how far I go, no matter where I make my bet, He is there. He's going to love you. Don't underestimate God. Bring Him into the equation. Let him be a part of the answer of your life. Brother Barry, we don't deserve this. A couple of guys like us knocking heads out in the street and God said, I want to put them two knuckles in my church. Don't underestimate the love of God. If he can save me, he can save you he can save brother junior he can save me if he can say if he can save us he there's nobody too far from the love of God oh I want to why do we come sis why do we come to the house of God because I don't want to underestimate the love of God I want to overestimate you know what there's nothing he can't do There's no life he can't change. There's no sin he can't forgive. There's no failure he can't make right. There's no circumstance he can't change. There's nothing. You don't know how great that love is until you come to an altar and say, God, forgive me. And that sweet presence of the Lord begins to wash. Come on, some of you know what I'm talking about. Stand with me, you know what I'm talking about. You're just like, oh God, I'm such a failure, I'm such a loser, I'm looking at my abilities and my resource, and I walk to an altar. How many times in 38 years have I been to an altar and said, God, forgive me, and I see the measure, the measure of his love. So many times I've underestimated Oh, God, I know I've gone too far this time. Oh, God, I know I've done too much. You just can't do it this time. And every single time I underestimate the love of God and I make my way to an altar, I feel that presence of God. I feel the sweet forgiveness. I feel that. Because you can't. You can't overestimate. Are you perfect? No, you're not. Am I perfect? No. No, I'm not. But his love... His love is perfect. His love. Can you imagine Abraham? Ah, I, I just didn't think God was in this. I just couldn't see God in this. I didn't understand the famine. I don't know what you're going through today, but I came with a word from God for somebody today. Don't underestimate the Lord. His power is still the, every bit as strong as it ever was. His promise has not failed one bit and His love Oh, I'm opening this altar. Come on, church, let's gather in. Somebody, I know the world's going crazy, but don't underestimate God. I know society is losing its mind, but don't underestimate a mighty God. Somebody lift your hands. Somebody lift your hands and magnify the Lord. He's still God on the throne. Oh. Jesus. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm I'm gonna wait on you.